What do you call it when you're um, speaking and you have, I can't say vasum, when you have vapor, is it vapor coming? That's the first time I've stood up here singing and seen vapor. <laughs> wow, it is quite cold this morning. All right, you can get your Bibles ready. We're going to find a few verses. I'll read it to you and you tell me where it is. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you. Isaiah, I heard that. 59. Verse 2. Isaiah 59, verse 2. All right. Jude. Let's find another one. Bible says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Zico, 18. Verse 4, yes. Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of... The Father and the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. All right. Another one. The Bible says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Yes, Armand, your favorite book. Yes. Via Pastamai. No, not 14. 11. All right, Leviticus 17, verse 11. It is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. All right. You guys have got that one relatively easy with the help of Pastor Mike. <laughs> okay. The Bible says, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Romans 3.25. The verse says, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. All right, one more. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore, I will change their glory into shame. My wife is trying to speak, but she's very soft. Hosea. (laughs) 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 All right. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore, I will change their glory into shame. 
It is Hosea. Blank. If I give you the verse before it, you'll know where it is. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Yeah, so that's 4 verse 7. <laughs> okay, good job. That's a good warning there. As you increase, they sinned against me. Therefore, I will change their glory into shame. So never let the things get in the way of you serving God. All right, let's just pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can be here together and thank you that we can be excited to hear from you and to learn more about you and to open your word. And thank you that we have your word and that we can learn from it and be guided through it. And we praise you for that, Lord. I ask that you please speak to us this morning. Be with every teacher as they speak your word. May they speak it in truth. And Lord, that um, souls will be saved and people's lives changed through the seed that is sown today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Young folks, you can head out with your teachers. And if you're staying here, we're going to continue with First Thessalonians. If I, if I sound shaky, it is because I am shaky. Because <laughs> I, am, I am literally shaking, I'm getting cold. Okay, last week we stopped in, in verse 9, but um, before we um, just continue with verse 10, I'd just like to read from verse 5 again with you. So let's read from verse 5. It says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all, who, all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith to God word is shed and spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, as we said, these Thessalonians were a great encouragement to Paul in his ministry because they received the gospel in verse 5, and then they became followers, so it didn't just stay with salvation, but they became followers of Christ through Paul as an example to them. And then they did not just follow, but they started being examples to the people around them, as Paul and Silas and um, Timothy were to, to these believers. And then in verse 8, they started preaching the word. So they, started, they heard the gospel they, then they started following, then they were examples, and then they themselves started to, to preach the gospel. So you can almost see a sort of a loop forming here. The first point being hearing the gospel. The second point, following. Okay, So then it starts with your walk with Christ, your walk with the Lord. The third point being, now you're an example 
of these first two steps. You're an example of how to set an example um, of the life Christ lived. You are saved. And then the final point is now you also go out and you start um, sharing the, the good news. So the question we need to ask ourselves is that is a loop that needs to continue. We see that loop continuing in Paul's life. He, he, he heard the gospel, but then he started, um, then he started following. He started um, um, being an example, and then he spread the gospel. So that loop needs to continue. And the question I want to ask, we need to ask ourselves is where in that loop do we find ourselves? If we're saved, have you started following? If you've started following, are you being an example? Where are you in that loop? Or have you even entered that loop? Have you heard the gospel and are you saved? So that is a loop that needs to continue. And that is now the Thessalonians started their own one. And so now other people heard the gospel because they were sharing the gospel. And then last week we also briefly looked at the end of verse 9. It speaks about how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So we spoke about repentance and how it includes a from and a to. You can't say that you have repented if nothing in your life has changed because of that repentance. Okay? Something needs to change in order for you to have gone from something to something. So repentance includes a from and a to. And then we also said it, in, it, it has an outward change because of an inward change. It doesn't just help you stick on good deeds or as people say you spray perfume on a dead corpse it doesn't help you just do something outwardly but nothing has changed inwardly because God looks on the heart not like we look at men so that's repentance and repentance is not something that is isolated to salvation it is not something you do once and you said I have repented and now therefore I am I am following God and there's no need for me to ever repent again we said that repentance is a form of worship. It's a form of worship. So last week I, I shared with you how David prayed and he said, search me, O Lord. And so who of you have asked God to search you in this week to see if there's anything that is keeping you away from him? And have you worshipped him in this way in this past week? Have you worshipped him by saying sorry for things that you've wronged and humbling yourself because that's essentially what repentance is. It's you humbling yourself before God and saying, I have wronged you and my sin is not okay. And God is so holy, I can't dwell with him. I can't fellowship with him if there's sin in my life. So it's you humbling yourself. Have you humbled yourself to look at God and say, God, you are holy. Please, I want fellowship with you. All right, now let's continue verse 9 and then verse 10. It says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So verse 10 continues off of verse 9. Verse 9 spoke about repentance, so in other words, turning to God from idols, then it speaks about service, to serve the living and true God. And then finally, verse 10, it says, and to wait for his son from heaven. So there are three things. There's repentance, there's service, and there is waiting. Okay? Three things that should be part, or let me say, the fruit or the effects of salvation. Okay? Salvation takes place. Then there is repentance. There's repentance, there's a change in your life. Then there is service that is because of that salvation and that repentance that has taken place. And then there is waiting 
on the Son. So the question is, if this is what is the fruit of salvation, if this is what flows from salvation after hearing the gospel in verse 5, is this taking place in your life? Do you have, do you see, or do you have a desire to serve? Do you repent? Do you confess your sins to God to restore fellowship with Him? And do you then wait for His Son from heaven? And we'll look at this waiting a bit later. But all three of those things has to be part, if you are saved, that has to be part of your Christian walk. In verse 9 through 10, we see also three tenses, tenses, and that should be part of a Christian's life. The first one is how you turned to God. Okay? So there has to be a point of past salvation. The first tense is which? Past salvation. Then it says, turn to God from idols. And then it says, to serve. So there's, the serve is present. It doesn't say, um, I mustn't try and talk and write, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Now I can talk. Okay. To serve, present. It doesn't say, to, you've served the living God. It says, okay, you, you, you had a past point of salvation. You turned to God, uh, yeah, to God from idols. But then it says, and to serve the living God. So it doesn't put that in the past tense. It puts it in the present. And then it goes on to say, and to wait. Now I know, wait is present tense. It doesn't say waited, but it's for a future event, right? Yeah, okay, so future So you have a past, the present, and a future tense. And all three of these tenses need to, be, need to coexist in your heart. Every Christian needs to say, I had a past meeting with God. I am presently serving God. And I am hoping for that future event. There needs to be all three of those. But as those three must coexist, but you can't, you can't mess them around. You can't say, because I am waiting, or because I have a hope of heaven, Therefore, I will go to heaven. I actually have spoken to people who say that I believe in heaven or I believe in God who is in heaven and therefore I believe that when I meet him, I will go to heaven. It's not just a belief in that future that makes you go there. It's neither is it that your service can buy you heaven if there's no, been no point of salvation. We know that we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is not of works, okay? Lest any man should boast. So all three of those tenses need to coexist in your heart. Do they? Have you started in the beginning, past salvation? Now, Armand spoke about last week, Sunday morning, he had a sermon about basically the, the phases of a Christian life. Your baby, babyhood, is that a thing? I don't know. I guess there's a babyhood, babyhood and adulthood, but baby, teenage, and then adult, right? So you grow. And so that's ex- that, that is, follows the same principle. You can't just jump into the deep end if you haven't been saved, and you can't ha- expect to have this hope of, of heaven and um, rewards and all these things if you're not serving him. So the one needs to flow into the other. And I think the encouragement is to say, that is my desire that is, that is what I want to live. I want to have a life that is repentant and serving and waiting on God. But you need to desire that and you need to see that in that order. The one flows into the other. Now, 
In verse 10 it says, and to wait for his son from heaven. Okay, so here we, we're opening a topic which is referred to as the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. Now, the, when we started the book, I gave you basically the theme of the book. And the theme of the book is the second coming of Christ and holy living. Those two things. And so here's the first time that Paul is now starting to make mention of this theme of the second coming of Christ. Now, when I speak about the second coming, I want to group two things into it. I want to group the rapture into it and then what referred to as the second advent um, or, or um, the revelation, if you can put it like that. So it's the rapture and the second advent. The first advent was when Jesus came to the earth in the flesh. Okay? The second advent is when he's coming to the earth the second time. Okay? So the rapture is when Christ comes to snatch his waiting bride, that is the church, away. We meet him in the clouds and then we're with him. And then we have the second advent, which is after the rapture, after the tribulation time, Christ comes back and so he defeats his enemy and there's a millennial reign that lies ahead for us. Now, I hope this is relatively familiar to most of you, but we're not going to get into most of this now. I want to leave this for a bit later in the chapter when there's more things to work with. But just know that the second coming is, is that Christ is coming back. And we have certain responsibilities regarding that coming of you. There are certain things that need to drive us. There are certain things that need to push us. And this is part of why God, uh, Jesus' second coming is so important. So to show you the theme in the book, I'm going to show you a few verses. So the first one we have is 1 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. Okay. Ach, one ten, sorry. First Thessalonians one ten. Let me write them all down because I don't know them out of my head. Then we have two nineteen to twenty. We have chapter three verse thirteen. We have chapter four verse fifteen to eighteen. I don't know if you can read here. Yeah. We have chapter five verse two to six. And 23. So in each chapter, the second coming of Christ is mentioned. So it's definitely a theme in this book. So the first one we see is the one we just looked at. It says, and to wait for his son from heaven. Verse 10. So the first lesson we learn about the second coming is that it is linked to the resurrection. Because it goes on from there. It says, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus. So the second coming is linked to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There wouldn't be a second coming if Christ didn't rise. Okay. So that is an important thing. And then the verse goes on to say, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So the second coming delivers us from wrath. Okay. Two lessons. Resurrection and delivery from wrath. Now let's look at the second reference. Chapter 2 verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19, it says, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. So the second coming is linked to rewards. The second coming is linked to rewards. It says, Our joy, our crown of rejoicing, the crown of rejoicing is linked to the second coming of Christ. And the second coming is also, as it says here, in the presence of our Lord. 
So it's when we get restored to fellowship in presence with God is at the second coming. So the question you need to ask yourself is if there's rewards involved, will you have any? Will you stand with rewards in that day when Jesus comes to fetch us? Okay, the third reference and the third lesson we see here. You, I'm getting cold. Okay, verse 13, 3 verse 13. It says, to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. So we see there a third lesson is that there will be, we will be unblameable in holiness before God. Unblameable in holiness before God. Now, is this based on our own merit? Or is it based on the merit of Christ? It's based on the merit of Christ, right? Nothing we can do can earn us this holiness before God. And so, are you trusting your own merit to somehow make yourself right in that day? Because if you are trusting your own merit, you will fall short because God is perfect. He is absolutely morally holy and we can't live up to his standards. So the merit of Christ makes us unblameable in holiness. Thank the Lord for that. All right, chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Um, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So, first of all, this is a day of great awaiting. We see this how um, um, the Lord is coming, and then it says, For the Lord shall descend with heaven from a sh- with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, with a, with a trump of God. So this, this is a day of awaiting. This is something that should be on our minds, it should be something that is pressing us, that should be motivating us. So we see that this is a day of great awaiting. And then also, the dead and the alive will be raptured. So this is another lesson that we need to know. It's that, because the Thessalonians were worried about this, what about the people who have been persecuted and died? Do they also come with when Jesus, when Jesus comes? Or is it only those who are alive? So it's also the rapture is to do with the dead and the alive. And then also... At the end of the, at, of the verse, it says they comfort one another with these words. This should be a source of comfort to all of us to know that this life is not all there is. This life, there's something greater that God has created us for and um, appointed us to, and this is eternal life. And so we should comfort one another with the knowledge that Jesus Christ is coming back, and this is not the end. Thank goodness it's not the end. This, this world is sometimes just not so great. <laughs> All right, and then chapter 5. Chapter 5, our last reference here. Verse 2. It says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, 
and they shall not escape. But ye, when, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but, but let us watch and be sober. And then verse 23 it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is first of all a date that we, sh- we can't know, the rapture date. It's something that it says it comes as a thief in the night, and if you could prepare for a thief in the night, then a thief would never rob you. So it's something you cannot prepare for, well, you must prepare for, cannot know the date of, okay? Or shouldn't even try and do that. Many people have tried to do that in the past, and all of them have failed. So unless you want to be a failure, do it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> all right. And then it's, it speaks about blamelessness. Blamelessness in verse um, Twenty-three, that your whole spirit and soul be preserved blameless unto the coming. So you have to be blameless in that day when Jesus comes. And once again, the only way you can do that is if Christ, Christ's life is imputed to you, and His sinlessness is on you, because otherwise we all have the reason to be blamed by God. So holiness will definitely play a role. You know, being blameless before God. Let's get back to verse 10 of chapter 1. So like I said, we'll just run through a few things then. We'll get through each of those things as we go through the book. So the more detailed ones will come as we progress further. Now, just that first line again in verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven. Now this waiting, okay. So remember, this is part of the, the, the three tenses we spoke about. And this waiting is an active kind of waiting. It is a waiting that prepares. Look at Second Timothy, just a few books to the right. It is an active waiting. It is a waiting that prepares. Second Timothy chapter 4. Now for interest's sake, First Thessalonians was Paul's first letter. Second Timothy was Paul's last letter. So, um, and I think these letters, if I have it right, are written about 17 years apart. I think I had a note somewhere, but I think if I remember correctly, 17 years apart. So now this is later on in Paul's life, okay? He spoke about the waiting and he spoke about, you know, Jesus coming to the Thessalonians and that being a hope. Now in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, it says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that, um, also that love his appearing. So, first of all, it's a day you can be ready for. It is a day you can be excited for. But the life of Paul was a life of preparation for this day. It was a life that was given to God for God to prepare him, to make him ready for this day. That's why I say it's an act of waiting. Paul never sat after he spoke to the Thessalonians and said, you need to wait for the coming of our Lord and then 
just sat and waited for the coming of our Lord, right? He had a very active life in service to God. And that's why he can say, for I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. He could say that. And I think as we grow and as we devote our lives to Christ, and if we can say, I have fought a good fight, you will also be ready. He said, I have finished my course. Do you know what your course is? You can't finish it until you know what it is. Have you sought God as to what it is he wants you to do? And to do that, completely devoted to him. And then he says, I have kept the faith. And then he says in verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but all them that love his appearing. So he's speaking in the context of, of context of Christ appearing, the second coming, and he's waiting for that day. And his love for that. And that's where that crown is given to him. So it's an active kind of waiting. It's like the waiting during pregnancy. Now, I don't know, all of you know what pregnancy is, but not all of you have obviously gone through it. I haven't gone through it, but I know, you know when, when, when you're expecting, you have to say we are expecting or we are pregnant. I, I, don't, I never felt pregnant, but anyways. So pregnancy, it's a pregnancy. I want to write this down because, sorry, if writing this down irritates you, come speak to me in private. And then I might stop writing it down, depending on whether there's a, you know, more people are irritated by it than people like it. So, okay. So the first thing about pregnancy, it changes the way, there are so many changes, so I just need to get my changes in order. Changes your view. Changes your view. In other words, what's valuable and what you pursue in life. Not the pregnancy, but what's coming because of the pregnancy. Okay. It also changes your conduct. What I mean by that is the, the cares that you have with your friends are either less frequent or very different because it needs to fit into certain blockies. The other thing is the things you buy are more, are more grown-uppy. <laughs> like, not, not the way you speak, obviously, <laughs> but the things you buy are more grown-uppy, right? Okay. You know, I was, what did I buy the other day? I don't know. I can't remember. I was just telling Grace, I can't believe I bought this. But, okay. Um, it also forces you to be ready. Okay? Because something is coming that's going to change your life. And so you need to change the room. You need to change your, your, your heart. You need to change the car or the seat in the car or get seat covers or something like that. It changes, forces you to be ready, okay, for the, this coming child. And then also, there's comfort in the coming. Because the more pregnant your wife gets, the more ready she is to have that baby. And so there's comfort in that coming of that child. So what I'm saying is, is this, this kind of waiting for the Lord, 
must change these things. It changes, it's active, it changes things. It changes your view of life, it changes your conduct, it forces you to be ready. And this coming of this child is what comforts you at the end when it gets tough. Now, this is exactly the kind of waiting that must be part of your Christian life for the coming of Jesus Christ. It changes the way you, you view life. Philippians 3 verse 20 says, For our conversation, which can also be translated as your citizenship or your community, so that where you, you dwell, okay, what you think about, the way you live, your conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So it changes your view. The second thing is, like I said, it changes your conduct. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 13 says, Every man's work shall be, tri- shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now this is speaking just after the rapture is taking place. We're in, in heaven and we're at the judgment seat of Christ. And what gets tried there is your works. And that's your conduct. It changes the way you live because there's something at stake. There's a reason to live in a certain way. It also forces you to be ready. Matthew, Matthew 24, verse 42 to 44, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he's saying, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what, um, what watch reach... But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. As such an hour you think not, the Son of Man cometh. So you need to be ready. And then also there's a hope, there's a joy. And because of that coming there's great comfort. Yeah, that's the verse we read in First Thessalonians chapter 4. At the end there, it says, in verse 18, it says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. So there is comfort in this coming of Jesus Christ. Now, this changing of your conduct, this, this forcing of you to be ready, is all linked to the coming of Jesus Christ. And what's something that the world has gotten right is taking away the idea of an afterlife, or if there is an afterlife, taking the idea away of a God that is going to judge you after an afterlife. And because of the removal of either the idea of an afterlife, so completely naturalistic view of life, and because of the removal of a God that is holy and a God that is just and that will judge you on that day, because of the removal of that, you have people who have absolutely no sense of purpose in their life so many people just go through life doing whatever they want whenever they want because they want because there's absolutely no consequence for it there's not just no consequence there's no hope for something better than this This is as good as it gets this is as close to heaven as you will ever get from here it's just further away and so it is i want to say not just vital to christian life it is vital to human life this idea that there is a God and that your works make a difference, not for salvation, but for that judgment and for God's glory and for something that lies ahead in the future. Now it also says, first line, and to wait for his son from heaven, Jesus Christ is currently in heaven. This is where Jesus is. 
And so what does Jesus do while he's in heaven? Look at um, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. So Jesus is currently in heaven where we are waiting for him to come from. And Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, it says, 7 verse 25, it says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, them that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So Christ in heaven is making intercession for us. Then, keep your place here, but have a look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. So Christ is in heaven interceding for us. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we have Christ in heaven as our advocate, and Christ in heaven as our intercessor. Now, an intercessor is one who interposes between two parties who are at variance to reconcile them. So, two parties at variance, they need to be reconciled. In um, Romans 5 verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Second John 5 verse 18 it says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. So this, this interceding is something that reconciles two people. There are enemies that need to be reconciled. Someone who comes in and mediates between these. And so interceding for me is a link to salvation. In your sin you are an enemy of God. Okay? And that's why it says at the end of this verse, in verse 10, it says, who has saved you from the wrath to come in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. So this God, or this Jesus comes and he brings two enemies together by interceding for them. Okay? You are God's enemy as an unsaved person. So that's the interce- intercession. But then we have the advocate. Now, to understand, I'm going to say the advocate is someone who plays a role after your salvation and now pleads your case before God, the judge, in terms of your sanctification. Okay? So, it's already someone who is God's son, God's daughter. In, the, in, in 1 John 1, we, we know the purpose of this book is to have fellowship with God. The reason John wrote this book is so that our joy may be full through fellowship with God. And so in, verse, oh, in chapter 2 it goes on and now he says, My little, little children, so there's already, you are already God's child. My little children. Then it says, These things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. It's not speaking about having to be resaved. It's not speaking about salvation. It's speaking about sanctification. It's speaking about your walk with God, walk with Christ after salvation. And so the advocate where Christ is as an advocate is where he comes to restore fellowship. This is where your confession, where repentance comes in because you desire fellowship with God. You desire to walk in the light with him. All right? So that's why we need an advocate and that's why we need an intercessor for salvation and sanctification. And then lastly, what Jesus is doing in heaven 
is John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3. And that is just Jesus is preparing a place for us. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. As Michael once mentioned that if God could create this world in seven days or six days, imagine what he could do in so much time, how great heaven is going to be in comparison to this world that we live in. So Jesus is in heaven interceding and advocating and then also preparing a place for us. Okay, I think I'm going to stop here because it's cold. And um, yeah, good. All right, let's stop here. Jesus is in heaven. He is, it won't be so cold in heaven. I can promise you that. Yeah, definitely. It will be, it'll be medium. It'll be a nice medium, you know. Definitely. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this, this morning. Thank you that for everything we can learn about, about you. Thank you, Lord, that we can wait, be excited, have a hope that you are coming back, that there is an eternity with a, a God who, who loves us, a God who wants us to have perfect fellowship with him. And Lord, you created us for that. You didn't appoint us to wrath, but you appointed us to salvation and we thank you for that privilege. Thank you for your love that you showed to us by your Son on the cross and that through his blood we have remission of sins. We thank you, Lord, that because of all of this we have a hope of heaven. Lord, help us to hold on to that. Help us to comfort each other with that. And Lord, maybe look forward to that day. Maybe live a life that prepares and that can say like Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And that we look forward to that crown and just heaven and rewards and a life with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.